Hey everybody, it's Michael here, and today's a little bit of a special episode. Instead of just recording a conversation between Gonzalez and I, we decided to record a Q&A I did with high school seniors or incoming high school seniors at the Law Madden, the school I went to high school at, and the school where Gonzalez works as an administrator today. I think it's a really great episode because we get to hear from high school seniors themselves about what they're thinking about and what they're worried about. So there's lots of great answers to, to questions that you might be having or the students you're, you're working with or teaching might be having. Now, before we get into the show, I just want to give a brief plug for, well, uh, myself. Um, I do do test prep tutoring and college admissions counseling, individualized help and, and counseling. And... The thing I am noticing right now as a counselor is that there's a lot of uncertainty about what to do about coronavirus. And the advice I give and the advice that I'm going to give in this podcast is all about finding your own path, whether it's your own way of extending your extracurriculars, your own method of pursuing your interests, even your own schedule for test taking, depending on what you want. Everything about this situation needs a personalized response. In fact, everything about college admissions needs a personalized response. So while I think the general advice we give here is super useful, if you're looking for a little bit more personal help with your own particular situation, please do reach out over at gaoadmissions.com. That's my last name, G-A-O, admissions.com. Reach out in the contact us form and uh, I can be in touch about how I can help you through this process. Now, with that little brief plug, Let's get on with the show. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it over to Michael and let him facilitate because as I thought would happen is I let my dog stay outside and he decided it was too warm and he's crying. <laughs> so I'm going to turn off my screen and just let Michael uh, start his, his uh, introduction and then I'll join you all back in a minute. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, it's nice to nice to meet all of you. Um, I, I have no idea what Gonzalez says about me. Like, I've heard he talks about me a lot. I don't know what he said. Um, but all good things. All good things? Okay. Hopefully not too good. I, I, I want to lower expectations. Um, but I graduated from the law magnet, I guess, um, two years ago at this point, class of 2018. Um, and right now I'm a sophomore at Columbia University. Um, and since then, I've been doing a lot of work doing test prep tutoring um, and also college admissions counseling. So help make their college list, um, you know, like write their essays, that type of thing. And like he mentioned before, I, I do the podcast with him um, about college admission. So, so that's a little bit about me and why I'm still in this stuff. Um, I guess like when I was in uh, at the law magnet, I was a debater. Um, I, in fact, and we can get into like the longer version of this story later, but uh, I, I was, I tried mock trial for like three weeks when I first got to uh, the law magnet and I was promptly removed from the team because I did so bad. Um, but yeah, I was a debater back at the law magnet. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I, I want to get to your questions, but before I do, I want to kind of give my spiel about the framework and my like general approach to, to college. Um, so like, has Gonzalez used the word narrative with y'all? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this is, this is something that Gonzalez and I talk so much about because I think it's kind of the core of how you should approach admissions, how you should approach any type of application where you have to present. Um, and, and what I think about what the narrative is, right, is, is kind of the thesis statement of your application. 
it's the thing that connects all the different parts of who you are, all the different things that you've done, all the different things that you want to do, and connects that in a really seamless way, right? Um, so if you think about, you know, like what you do now and what you're interested in, it's probably kind of really scattered, at least it was for me. I was a debater, but I also did volunteering through NHS, um, but I was also interested in, in politics and elections. Um, like there's, it's not, it's not seamless, right? It's not all one thing. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, but what you need to do is try to figure out a way to connect all those things so it, so it makes sense together as a packet. And so that when college admissions officers see you and see your application, they don't just see someone who's done all these random things. Oh, good grades, debater, and, and, and wants to do poli-sci, right? That's not gonna win anybody over. What is, is if they can see you and see your application and say that, oh, you know, Michael is a, you know, blank type of person. Because that type of overall framework and narrative is a lot more compelling than them just kind of, you know, listing off a whole bunch of your, your activity. Does, does that make sense to everybody what, what narrative means? Yes, it is. Um, so, so you'll hear me kind of refer back to that a lot, you know, during the session probably. Um, and, and I think Gonzales is going to talk to you all more next week about how you can build your own narrative. Um, but that's how I think you should approach college admission. Figure out, you know, what have you done? What are you interested in? What do you want to do in the future? Wrap that all into like a succinct narrative thesis statement of your application. And from there, use that to decide what you're going to write about to decide which teachers you're gonna ask for rec letter, to decide how you're gonna approach interviews, to decide which colleges even to apply to. Um, so, so I think step one is find that narrative and then from there you can do all the other steps. In, in. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my spiel about how I think about admissions. Um, the rest of the time I just wanna open it up to y'all if you have any questions about anything, whether it's, you know, like ACT, SAT stuff and how coronavirus is affecting it or like, how you write your essays, or like which teachers to avoid senior year, or like you know how to like get on Gonzalez's good side, like any anything, just. Uh, definitely the whole coronavirus affecting college admissions. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So I, I mean, there's there's so many things that coronavirus is kind of like messed up. Um, I I did do a podcast on it um, at Admissions Uncovered, but basically the the kind of like two things that I see happening are, are testing and extracurriculars as the big one. Um, so testing, obviously your APs have been moved to this weird 45 minute FRQ um, and your SATs and your ACTs have been postponed, right? I think the SAT actually just a couple of days ago moved their June session to September. September. Um, so obviously that, that has some issues for y'all. So, so my, my advice for that is if you still wanna take the test again, you still haven't gotten the score you need to, um, just keep studying because you eventually are going to have to take the test. Um, that being said, if coronavirus keeps going, I think colleges are going to start relaxing these requirements. So already in the Ivy League, Cornell has lifted off their testing requirements. Um, other, you know, kind of like mid-tier target schools and other kind of tier one schools have also started to do it. And if they haven't done it yet, they've at least started talking about it. So you can see more of that. But um, I think that's only kind of a worst case. Still be ready to take the test um, as your kind of safest default. Um, on extracurricular activities, I think what y'all should think about is how to continue them despite coronavirus. So, you know, 
back to the kind of narrative piece, a big component of your narrative is the extracurricular activities you've chosen to do because those show what you're interested in and those can demonstrate why you're interested in studying, you know, like environmental science in college, right? So um, you've got to keep that doing that. And so I know y'all are all, you know, mock trialers, you know, obviously like you can't have a tournament right now or whatever, um, but brainstorming ways you can kind of continue pursuing that activity. Um, you know, I have a student who's writing a blog about the intersections of sports and medicine because she has done sports and later on wants to be a doctor, right? So I think this is actually a really good time for y'all to start filling in the holes in your application um, by starting new and different and kind of more like self-motivated, self-starter type extracurricular. Does that make can, sense? Yeah. I can interject for a moment. So most of you have a couple of things this summer that will help with that as well. You go to mock trial camp, whether that's live camp or virtual camp, that'll count. I know several of you applied for the Dallas Bar Association internship program, assuming that's still a green light. Um, that'll be something else that fits into that slot. Or like some of you may have applied for the mayor's internship. All of those things fall into that category, especially like it's, I can't speak to the mayor's program because not all of, all of them are law related, but the Dallas Bar Association are. So if your interest is a study of law or whatever, that shows that consistent thread. So those two things in particular, they're not, it's not a, an exhaustive list. There are other things that you can do as Michael said, but those two things in particular fit for, for most of you that are on, on here right now. Anybody else? Is anybody else concerned about extracurricular activities and kind of everything stalling out? Right, so I'm not so much concerned about extracurriculars. I want to mm -hmm. kind of go back to the SATs. We already, yeah. already taken so we're one of the very few folks to actually get to take them beforehand. So we, I understand that we're going to have the option of, we're going to have the option of submitting those scores, but do you think it would be better if we, if we went ahead and sent them or just overall, would it be mm. better if we just withheld it? So, so your question is, you know, you've taken the test already. It may not be the score you want to send, but given all the uncertainty, is it better just to send what you have? Is that your question? Mm -hmm. um, so I think right now you don't have to make that decision, um, right? Because the earliest you need to apply to any school is going to be November 1st, which is the kind of early action, early decision deadline. And so you can wait to make that decision until September when hopefully you will have been able to take at least the SAT one more time, if not the ACT, if the ACT continues on the June test date. So don't, don't send anything right now, uh, just because if you send it right now and you have to send it again later because you got a better score, you're going to have to pay again if your fee waiver doesn't cover it or if you're not eligible for a fee waiver. So, so don't worry about that right now. Just the uncertainty makes it hard to set, but that's something you can punt till the fall. Um, is is anybody comfortable with their score? They're not worried about that. Um, and I guess, you know, on the flip side, who is not comfortable with their score and wants to take it again? I'm not comfortable with my score because I know that I can, like, definitely do better. Yeah. And so how would you recommend me going about, like, uh, improving my score? Um, so I think, you know, like, the the kind of most generic but best piece of advice I have is to just kind of do a lot of practice questions because nine out of 10 times that gets you where you want to get. 
Um, so there's a lot of online resources I can recommend. So um, the SAT Khan Academy is 100% best bet because they work directly with the College Board, make their practice questions and curriculum. Um, for the ACT, you can I I can send y'all like the PDF version that I just found online, potentially not so legally. Um, but but there's like so many different websites that have ACT practice questions. So like I use Crack ACT with my students. Crack SAT is the version for. Um, but so so that's like the generic piece of advice that is is not incredibly insightful. I, I think though, as you practice, what you should be thinking about is not just like doing a whole bunch of practice questions, but reviewing them and, and reflecting on them. So I have a lot of students who just do practice questions and they just keep doing and doing and doing it and they never look back and see what the mistakes were. I think it's a, that, I think it's a real problem because if you don't figure out what your mistakes are, you're gonna keep making. So being really intentional about every single question you've missed, ask yourself, why did I miss it? And if it's, for example, math or grammar, it's not just about learning the rule, it's about thinking about what happened in that question that made you get it wrong, right? Don't just say like, oh, I didn't understand triangles. Be more specific than that. Like, what about triangles did you not understand? Um, was it maybe a, a weird wording the, the question had, right? So, or, or did you forget to, you know, add one because the, the question was, what is X plus one? And you answered X, right? Being really specific and identifying what actually happened in that particular problem that went wrong. And then after that, thinking about the strategies, the test-taking strategies you can use to prevent yourself from making that same mistake in the future. So what's the specific thing you're going to do to prevent yourself from answering the wrong question or to prevent yourself from drawing the wrong shape or applying the wrong grammar rule, right? So this can be as simple as circling your question again or before you bubble in an answer, double check and reread the question to make sure you're answering the right question. But it's just a matter of coming up with a specific strategy that, that works for you to, to prevent yourself from making that mistake. So, so basically, you know, part one of the review is, why did I get this particular problem wrong? And part two is, what can I do in the future when I see a similar type of problem not to make the same mistake? Does that make sense, those two steps of the review process? Yes, it does. Thank you. What about SAT2? Do testing because the new S the SAT that's going to be held in September it's not going to include the SAT subject tests and what if we won't have enough time to take the subject tests because I was saving those for after APs yeah and that's not going to happen well I mean I think one thing is that even before coronavirus SAT twos didn't matter that much unless you were applying to Penn MIT um, but but now they matter even less I think MIT is made optional um, okay. so so. Just, you know, obviously, you know, it, it would be better if you wanted to take the subject tests that you had the opportunity to, but if you don't, don't freak out because most schools don't, didn't care about them. And especially now, even the schools that cared about them a little bit are making them optional. Thank you. Um, I had a question about the whole coronavirus thing and college mm -hmm. admissions. So if a school is now SAT um, optional, what do you think they'll focus more on if it's not your SAT score? Yeah. Well, so I, th um, I think any school that makes their test, I mean, I, mean I, I think there's like two types of schools that are going to react to it, right? So one is your big public school or school with a bunch of applicants and a big freshman class. They're probably, they, 
looked at your SAT and GPA before because they didn't really have time to delve deep into your essays, right? This is like a, this is like your Ole Miss. This is this is your like giant public school, like University of Oklahoma type stuff. Um, they're just going to look at your GPA probably. For more selective institutions that cared about your essays and cared about your you know overall narrative before, they're going to care about that even more, right? Which is why I brought up extracurricular activities because if you're looking into those more selective schools. Once you take away one metric, right, the, the SATs, the ACTs, and the numbers, they're going to have to care, care more about the, the kind of softer parts of your application, your essays, your extracurriculars. Um, and, and this is a great time to kind of beef up those parts of your application because everybody else is on pause right now. You know, the vast majority of, of other high school seniors are not going to be thinking about how to continue their extracurriculars or start new ones. Um, but if you do, that's a way of you either catching up or, or you know, extending your lead, if that makes sense. Uh, Dream, did you have a question? I saw you unmuted yourself. Um, yes, thank you. Okay, so, well, this is sort of related, but not in a way. Mm -hmm. So in colleges, you know, you have to pick your major and what do you want to go into? Okay, how would you go about, if you're undecided, how would you go and research in colleges? Yeah, so I think, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, the, the reason why that matters and the reason why I think it's good that you're thinking about it is if you go to a, usually big public schools, take UT as an example, um, it's very hard to apply as undecided, right? Because if you apply as undecided um, to, let's say, their standard College of Art, Letters of Arts and Science college. This is your, just your generic, basically, you know, most things are under it. If you wanted to, say, do business, you would have to transfer schools within UT Austin, right? Transferred from the College of Letters of Arts and Science to the business college. So that's why it matters for, for big public schools. Uh, and so my advice for, for those is you, you just kind of have to make an overall decision. If, if you think you want to go into one of the specialized programs, you kind of have to decide that early on for, for the big public schools. For um, liberal arts colleges, small private schools, more selective schools, um, being undecided is not a bad thing, right? I applied as an econ major. I still am an econ major but I could decide to be a psych major anytime I wanted. So, so for liberal arts colleges and more selective schools, you have more time to figure that out. That being said, I think when you apply, um, even if you choose to apply undecided, even if you really have no idea, you, you want to have something to say about what you want to do, right? Just because you apply as undecided doesn't mean you're like, I, I have no idea, right? Because that, because kind of going back to the narrative point, that, that doesn't fit in with a narrative. A narrative of indecision is, is not good, right? But a narrative that says, oh, well, I'm interested in both science and politics, and I don't want to pick between the two, and, and I want to go to a college that lets me explore both and maybe engage in some interdisciplinary program, that sounds a lot better than you just applying as like, oh, I have, I have no clue, right? Um, so even if you do apply undecided, you still have to have some substantive answer to like, what do you want to do in college? Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Thank you. So I want to add one thing to this as well. And that is that for some schools, it does matter. For example, some of you that might be looking at HBCUs like Howard, for example, uh, and I'm sure this is the case as well with the big schools like UT and whatnot, but it does affect the admissibility, if that's a word, into those schools, like for example, 
communications is a very popular major at Howard. And so if, if you apply to Howard as a communications major and you don't fit the profile that they're looking for, you might not get in versus if you apply with a major that is not as popular, it might actually increase the likelihood of you getting in. Uh, and that was the case with one of our seniors this year, and y'all know who I'm talking about. Very true, very true. Cool. Any, so, I mean, I think that's a good kind of thing to think about is, you know, thinking about your college list, because I think right now is a good time to kind of make those decisions and hopefully have a list of colleges that you know you're interested in and want to apply to before the year ends. So does anybody have, like, schools in mind or questions about how to find schools, decide between schools? Mr. G's been making us do college lists and targeting like our dream target and safety schools. So that's been helping us with our college searches. For sure, yeah. I have a question about like after you've already applied and once mm -hmm. you get into the schools, how did you decide what college you wanted to go to in the end? Um, I mean, so, I, I mean, like, my, my situation, I think, was kind of unique. So I, I was deciding between Columbia, Wharton, and Brown. So, like, I didn't, there wasn't much risk to my decision, right? Like, like, either three of those schools would have been perfectly fine, and I've been fine at any of them. So, so I think that's one thing to keep in mind, is that, like, your situation may be different. Um, so... And, and I also didn't have to worry about the finances of it because all three of those schools gave good financial aid packages. Um, and I, in fact, used UPenn's package to ask Columbia and Brown for more. Um, so that was another thing that I didn't have to worry about that you might, depending on your situation. Um, but how I thought about the decision was, um, what did I actually want to do, right? And that's hopefully a question that you'll think about now right, when you do your college application, right, what schools you want to apply to, what majors you're going to apply to, those are questions that are directly linked to just generally what do you want to do, right, um, so I knew I, I cared about politics, I knew I was interested in, in business, um, but I didn't know what yet, and so the, the decision for me came down to the fact that Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania is a business school, it's a pre-professional pre school, and Beyond that, most of the people who graduate from Wharton go do banking or consulting. Um, and like, I won't go on my rant now, but, but I think both of those industries are probably evil and you should stay away from them. Um, so, so that's why I chose Columbia, uh, because you know, I was interested in business, but I didn't think I wanted to be locked into business, nor did I think I wanted to be locked into um, consulting, which the only thing that good, good comes out of that is you know, cutting people's jobs and banking, which um, is like financial engineering and, and just that. I have a question um, yeah. like about like the narrative, about the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, so like what, did, what was one of your main things you talked about? Yeah. So, so I think, so I think what I, what I had to do was think about how to fit debate, which is this kind of like academic, very intellectual thing with volunteering, which is something service oriented that I wouldn't say is academic, right? And so what I cent centered on is that, um, is, is that both had something to do with inequality, 
right? So volunteering, obviously you're helping like the less fortunate um, or, or like in my case, I, I was doing some like SAT program at the law magnet. So helping, you know, students who probably didn't have access to good test prep and helping them prepare for testing. And where debate fit into that is that um, often the things that we were reading in debate were about inequality and bad things in society and, and the readings and the work and the literature I was doing debate kind of fit in nicely with a like, theoretical perspective of what, um, of what, you know, like inequality and oppression was. So, so that's how like I fit together at the extra curriculum. And so from there, what I did was figured out what was kind of a specific story that really highlighted that narrative or that theme of something about inequality and something about fighting inequality. Um, so for me, um, that was the fact that I, so like I live in Allen, which is like a suburb in North Dallas. Um, like if you walk around, it's a whole bunch of like white people um, with like a whole bunch of money. Um, I'm Asian, I'm upper middle class. Um, and obviously, you know, that's like not the case at the law magnet at Townview, maybe with the exception of TAG. Um, and, and definitely along the kind of train ride I took every day from White Allen to not so white, not so rich, you know, downtown Dallas. Um, so I think that was the story I centered on, right? That trip every day from Allen to the law magnet, because that highlighted my narrative that I understood that inequality existed and I was compelled to do something about it or, or think about it more. Okay, thank you. Um, any, any other questions about like the narrative stuff and what that means or um, like how you can find it or, or, or essay topics, I guess, is kind of fits in. Before we move on to essays, can we talk a little bit about narrative? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I don't think y'all know yet because I don't think I posted it, next week we're going to do a narrative assignment that I stole from Michael. <laughs> and what it is, is essentially a brain dump. Um, and what you do is you just take a sheet of paper or on your laptop and you list out all the activities you do. And by all activities, I mean all activities. Um, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> yes, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Some of you have heard this story before. Michael's heard it probably a hundred times now. I've said it a hundred times now, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that is that I had this one student who was a pretty good debater. She was, you know, a very at the state level. She went to the national level. She was in the top 10, had an above average SAT score. And... When I had her do this sort of brain dump, she had this thing on there about uh, choreographing quinceañeras. And I started to ask her some questions about this. And it turned out she did more than just coordinate the, the dances. She actually had her own business. And that became part of her narrative of, about wanting to be an independent businesswoman and everything and how she was already really doing it. And I think that that was integral to her getting into Wellesley, which is one of the top liberal arts colleges. I think it's number four. Um, so I think what happens sometimes is you guys as students have a tendency to undervalue the activities that you do. And so it's important for you to put that on paper so that if you have somebody like me or Michael taking a look at it, maybe it doesn't become entirely clear to you what you have on paper and where to connect the dots. Somebody like me or Michael can come in and, and start seeing some common themes with, within that to help you and then kind of bounce back ideas with you about whether or not this fits for what your idea of who you are in the direction you're going. Yeah. So we're going to do something like that next week. So um, 
you can already start thinking about all the things that you do, particularly in high school. I, I don't think that you need to go back to what you did in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the stuff that you're doing right now, you know, and, it, and don't just list the things that you do in school because yeah. a lot of you do things outside of school. You volunteer, you go to outside, you know, camps or other things that I might not know anything about. And that's how I learned this. You know, I had a pretty good relationship with Dorland. You know, she was one of my top debaters. We went to tournaments pretty much every week. I did not know this part of her life. So don't assume that, you know, your mentor teachers are going to know that, you know, whether that's me or somebody else. And so for those of you that are mock trial, you should be having this conversation with me. This is why we're doing this assignment early on. And this will be the nice segue for Michael to start talking about essays, because I, my argument is you can't start the essays until you have a clear vision of what the narrative is. Mm -hmm. The totality, I think, as Michael said at the very beginning of what your full narrative is, the full application. And so doing this assignment that I'm giving you next week does that for you so that you'll be able to start writing the essay, which I think Michael's going to talk about now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, no, I think like, you know, Gonzalez and I are kind of on the same page about how important this, this narrative is, right? Because this narrative is the thesis statement of your own and, you know, like what you, what's been drilled, in, drilled into your head for the past, you know, like, you know, <laughs> like 11 years of, of public school education is, you have a thesis and three body paragraphs, right? Like, and all of them link back to your thesis. So, so treat it as the most important thing because it is. Um, because once you have your narrative, right, what you want to do for your essays is find something that really shows that off. And it could be, it could be something you do in your extracurriculars, right? A particular moment in your extracurriculars that shows off what your narrative is. A particular moment in your life, right? I chose the moment of me getting on public transit from, from home to the llama. But, but whatever you choose, it needs to be a particular moment, right? The, the kind of worst essays I've seen are people listing off their resumes because they already have them. The second worst essays I see are people just kind of like talking generally about what they're in. So, so like I, I read an essay that was like, I'm really interested in politics and elections. Elections are interesting because X, Y, Z. And then they, they went into this thing about how the 2012 election was really interesting because, you know, like Romney tried to win Pennsylvania. It, it was like very, it was like interesting, but it, but it wasn't about them, right? And it wasn't about a specific story about their life. And, and what I'm trying to get at here is what you want to do with your essay is find a moment in your life, something personal and something specific that shows off your, your narrative. Um, but that, that's like my general pitch about what the essay is, specific and, and an actual event or story. Um, do any of you have questions about coming up with ideas or anything like that? Let me interject one thing before there's any confusion. All right. A big mistake that people make is treating the essay like the typical five paragraph essay that y'all write in school. And when he talks about the thesis, he's talking about the essay itself being the thesis for, if you look at the whole application as your essay, as kind of a, um, the word I'm looking for here, persuasive essay, because you're selling yourself. You're selling yourself. At the end of the day, that's what you're doing. The total package of selling yourself. And so, but the essay is, and Michael, please feel free to jump in. But my view on the essay is that you're not structuring it like, like a typical essay. It's more really you're telling a story about yourself because like, like I, you know, using the train ride 
is a real good framework to tell the to tell Michael's story, you know, of going from Alan and then what it allowed. I don't remember if I wrote this in your rec letter. I think I did. Um, of me seeing so using paralleling that with what my rec letter said about him is the change from when he came to the law magnet as a sophomore and then when he's leaving as a as a senior matched up really well with his essay and that's what a good rec letter should do anyway it should supplement or enhance what the student has already done in their in their essay and so don't think of it as like a traditional essay think of it as you're telling a story about yourself do you agree michael yeah, I think it's really true. And I think it's a really important clarification with how I use the, the, the word thesis, right? All I mean by that is there's one thing that everything else connects to, right? That's your narrative. Um, but when you're actually writing your personal statement, it isn't your like five paragraph essay, because I think that's limiting. And, and I think that's just not, not the point, right? You're not saying, let me into your college because one, I'm ambitious, two, I'm hardworking, and three, I bring a unique, that's not, that's not effective. What you want to do, you, you do want to prove those things, but the way you do that isn't so direct. It, it's through storytelling about your own life. Um, and so one thing that may be useful is just thinking about, you know, like, like what are the stories you tell new people you meet? Right? Like when you meet like a, a new kid at the uh, lunch table or whatever, like what, what do you talk about first? Um, what are your like go-to stories at a party, right? What, what is it that you tell about yourself? Um, and, and even beyond that, what are some normal things that happen to you that you think you can you know, explain more about or, or the day-to-day -day things that you think have taught you something, right? So like my train ride, it's, it's not like I spent every day thinking about what like my train ride meant to me, right? But, but it certainly taught me something. And I didn't get to think about what it, what it taught me until I really started to think about what my daily life looked like and what I learned from my daily life, right? So, so not discounting the small things that you do and the small things that you experience every day, um, right? Because like, I literally use the most mundane part of my life, which is my like daily commute. Um, any, any questions about ideas, essays, writing, editing, anything like that? How would you around, recommend, oh, sorry, you go first, <laughs> Stephanie, you go first. Around, okay, around how long did it take you to like finally finish your essay and feel content with it? Um, well, so I, I, I kind of had a picture, so, so I knew the narrative was going to be about inequality, inequality is bad, finding, fighting inequality early on, kind of like the end of this year, I kind of figured that out. Um, but I kept working, workshopping this essay throughout the summer and throughout different applications too. So I had a fly-in program application for Swarthmore kind of doing the middle of the summer. Um, that was a version of the essay that actually didn't talk about my train ride and instead talked about the, or the story that it focused on was going through the metal detector. Um, and the reason why I chose that is because like, if you go to a public school in, or, or any school in North Dallas, you will not see a metal detector. Right. And so like the first time I saw that, I was amazed. I was like, what is hat? Like, why is there a long line? Like, why are people like giving a guard there? Like, it was, it was crazy to me. Um, so, so that's the first thing I, I thought about doing as, as the kind of metaphor or, or vehicle that I was going to use to talk about. Um, and then like the second rendition of the essay that I used for Princeton added in the, the train ride bit. 
And then the third rendition that I used for my January 1st regular decision applications was just about the, the train ride and had like a brief blip about the metal detector, but wasn't the central. Um, so like how long it took, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say because, you know, it's going to change. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a good thing because hopefully you come up with new ideas and new ways of explaining things. Um, so, so I wouldn't put a time limit. Some, for some people, it takes more. For some people, it takes less. For some people, if they change their strategy, they have to rewrite their essay. It, it just depends. But I will say this. Um, the summer leading into your senior year, you should be working on it. For sure, so yeah. That by the time that, by the, for my goal, at least for you guys, is that when you show up to school in August or early September, whatever it is, because I lose track of the dates for y'all, I'm assuming that we go back to normal. Then you Hopefully. should show up with your essay, a rough draft. It's obviously not going to be perfect, but if you're dealing with somebody, you know, like if I'm going to be your go-to mentor, then you should have somebody like me or an English teacher look at it. And actually, I think you, it, sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it might need to be two. Like from, from the thematic standpoint and the narrative standpoint, it might be your mentor. But, and then you might want to turn it over to an English teacher for you know, grammar and all that sort of stuff. Now, not to toot my own horn, I think I can do both. But, but you do need to have something ready because if you wait too long to have it done, then you're putting pressure on yourself, your mentor, or whoever is checking it for grammar and all that other stuff, because they're going to have other people asking them for help too. So, you know, so like when you're out of school, you should start working on it and start playing with it and then reaching out to people. And I don't mean your friends. I mean, somebody like me or somebody like Michael and say, Hey, this is my first rough draft. Do you mind reading it? And then, but also reading it with kind of like this brain dump that you're about to do next week side by side to kind of see does the essay match up with what you've got on your list and what you claim is your interest i think so i definitely want to get to any questions you all have but kind of on that point the the best way to start writing or even to start brainstorming what your essay is is just to start writing right i mean you can you can think all you want um and i certainly did um, but but the best way to come up with ideas is just to force yourself to stare at a blank Word document and just type something, right? Because then you have some story and then you can think about how that story fits in and if it's good or bad or if you want to come up with a new one. And maybe thinking about that particular moment in your life leads to another one, right? So like I maybe I first thought about a debate tournament and winning a debate tournament and writing an essay about, oh, winning the debate tournament and overcoming, you know, like problems. And maybe that idea leads you to this other idea about like, okay, but like, why was I interested in debate in the first place? Or how did I get to go to the debate? So on, so on, right? So just by starting and just by starting with one idea, I think that can lead and spawn to spawn a whole bunch of others. Just like start writing something. Okay, questions, questions about essays, um, ideas, writing essays, um, supplementary essays. We can also talk about just what do you, what do you want? Could you talk some more about supplemental essays in particular? Like the why university essays and things like that? Yeah. So um, for people who don't know, um, supplementary essays are kind of the special essays that each college asks you to write just for their college. 
So you have a main common app, your 650 word personal statement that gets sent to all the schools you apply to, then some schools will ask you to write something just for them. Um, and, and one of them, right, is, is like you mentioned, the, the Y school essay. Um, it's a very, very common one. Most schools are gonna ask it, especially the selective one. Um, the way you wanna answer that is, is, is I think two parts. Um, part one is obviously about the school. Um, what is cool about the school? What is unique about the school? Um, that's, that's obvious, right? Like why college obviously means you talk about the college. The second part that's less obvious that people don't include, but is I think more important than the first part is what about you fits with the school? What about you fits with the things that you mentioned you liked about that school? What in your past makes you prepared to take advantage of those features of the what in your past demonstrates your interest in those things. It, it's part the school and also part why you fit in to that school. And like the best example I can, I can think about why this matters is because colleges already know what's good about their school, right? So, so like NYU knows the Stern School of Business is top rank and graduates to, to, to finance. They don't need you to tell them that. Um, what they do need to tell you, what they do need you to tell them is why you are interested in finance, why you are interested in those good parts of the school that you've identified. Um, so really, really trying to make sure that you are present in that Y College essay as well. Other questions? Um, doesn't have to be about essays. Um, I know we're kind of getting to the end of the hour, just like anything that y'all are curious about um, that you all want to ask. How did you make sure to stay relaxed during the application process with like everything that was going on? Um, I chuckle and I think Gonzalez is smiling a little bit because I don't think I have a particularly good answer on this one. I don't think I was very relaxed. Um, I don't think I was very relaxed in high school um, or even now. So uh, maybe may, I'll, let, I'll let Gonzalez answer this. <laughs> So I think that the best way to stay relaxed is to control those things that you can control. And if you give yourself a plan and you don't procrastinate, and I know that probably a good majority of you that are on here suffer from a little bit of perfectionism, which is a big component of procrastinating. If you get on it and create yourself a schedule and start giving yourself literally in like your bullet journal, little boxes to check off, that's going to calm you down. The, the, there's some psychology behind that. The actual act of just checking off your list will make you feel better because it makes you, it gives you a sense of accomplishment. And so I think that what you do is you build yourself a schedule, like maybe during the summertime, you give yourself maybe an hour a day to work on the essay or whatever the case may be. And you give yourself a deadline for writing the essay, writing your first draft or writing the really rough draft or writing your outline and giving yourself dates for, for things that you need to have done. And that'll create not only an accountability, but it'll also give you a sense of progress as you continue to check those things off. I think the other thing that you do is you need to find in yourself those things that relax you. Like it might be, you know, an unhealthy thing like sitting there and eating a big old bag of Lay's potato chips, which I'm not advocating, or it could be taking a walk. There's a lot of science behind that too. It's just being active you know, taking a walk around the block or going to the park and taking a walk or whatever the case may be and figuring out those things that de-stress you. And I'm just going to give everybody a warning. Even as much as you try to avoid it, 
all of you are going to experience what I call the, the S cube, and that's the senior stress syndrome. All of you are going to hit senior stress syndrome in one way or another, and it manifests itself differently in each and every one of you. Some of you will hyper throw yourselves into all of your work, and you'll try to do like 30 applications and try to do everything crammed into your senior year of everything. Like you're going to go to every tournament you can get. Who am I talking about? Um, and others, you know, I don't think this describes any of you, but I've seen it before as well, that even a really good student, uh, like I had another girl that went to Wellesley and her senior year, she just started not doing stuff because it's that, it was that fear. And so it manifests, you know, those are kind of the two extremes, but then it'll manifest itself in between. And a good thing about that is, is that you got to talk to people, you know, um, and in your case, a lot of you, um, in fact, I think everybody on here at some point or another has come inside of my office and talked to me. You need to find somebody like that, preferably an adult, that you can just say, hey, I'm stressing out because we've already been through all of that, you know, and I'm, I am not going to marginalize the stress that you're going to because it's real. Um, but sometimes you just need to have somebody listen to you and help walk you through it. So I think if you have a game plan in advance and also you're realistic about the, uh, the fact that you are going to get stressed. Now, you can do some things to mitigate the stress, but at some point you're going to encounter stress no matter what. And but you got to use, you know, use the resources you have available, especially the people. And some of you have really good relationships with your parents, like your parents too. You know, some of you may not. Some of you may have great relationships with your parents, but your parents may be the source of the stress. You know, so that's why it's important, you know, to have somebody, you know, a good teacher or you know, a mentor college student, maybe even an older sibling or whatever, in some of your cases, to help you through that process. Yeah, I think actually that made me think of one thing, which is that um, you can, I, okay, so like I say that knowing that like most of y'all are like, like Gonzalez likes y'all, like he thinks that y'all are all good students, um, I think. Um, you, can, you can lay off like a little bit, senior year, especially when you do your application. This is not saying that if you're an A student, you can suddenly fail a class. It's not saying if you're an A student, you can become a B student. This is saying that if you've made like 98s in all your classes, if you go down to a 92, it's not the end of the world. And in fact, maybe a good thing because it means you can spend more time on your own. Um, I stopped doing orchestra my senior year. Um, like I, I enjoyed playing the viola, but it wasn't a huge part of my application. It wasn't a big deal to me. I have more time to do applications and, and that's a good thing. So, you know, this again, not to say that you can just like drop everything and, and have senioritis before you get into a school, but it does mean you can be strategic about how you use. Um, and I think the second thing I want to say is about like Gonzalez said, like control, only control what you can control or only worry about what you can control. Part of what that means is that if you're someone who's, you know, wanting to apply to, you know, a lot of reach schools or more selective schools where admissions rates are crazy, crazy low, um, not thinking and stressing over those numbers, right? You will drive yourself crazy if, you know, every night before you go to bed, you think about like the 2% acceptance rate that some of these schools have. Don't do that to yourself. Um, it's, it's not healthy. It's not productive, right? You know, it's hard to get into, but if you just stress over that, you're not going to do the work of actually applying. You have no control over, um, you know, if you you have no control over the overall number or the overall percents, but you do have control over your application. So, so just worry about your application. Thank you. Of course. 
All right, I have a question about the kind of proverbial elephant in the room, which is money, right? Yeah. Are there, do you have any tips for gaming the system, kind of trying to secure a bit more money yeah. to go to college? For sure. Um, we, we can ch chat offline about like the intricacies of like financial aid stuff. So like if, when it comes time, if, if we need to talk about like things you can do, we can. Um, but, but in terms of, um, like general tips that are not related to your family's like tax situation. Um, number one, if you're, if your family is like low income, right, like making less than $60,000 a year, most very selective institutions will cover your tuition. Um, so, and if not, there are programs like QuestBridge and other really great scholarships that you should look into now. Um, and Gonzalez knows more about QuestBridge than I do, so talk to him about that. Um, number two is that don't let that be a huge factor right now as you think about where to apply, um, because you got to get in first, right? A lot of people are like, oh, I can't afford Harvard, right? The A point is that you probably can if you're low income. The B point is that you've got to get into Harvard to worry about that question. Um, and once you get in, what you can do is make appeals for more financial aid. So I mentioned this earlier, but you know, I had an offer from Penn that was better from my offer from Columbia and Brown. So what I did is I emailed Columbia and Brown. I was like, hey, uh, Wharton gave me this better offer. I don't want to let finances be a factor in my decision. Can you match their offer? Um, and, and generally speaking, um, schools will match offers from similar tiers. Um, and the third point actually is, is look into merit-based scholarships at public schools. Um, a lot of public schools are going to offer really nice merit-based programs. So like UVA has the Jefferson Scholarship Program that I'm thinking about. Um, UT has the 40 Acres Scholarship. Even a private school like USC offers full tuition scholarships. So if money is an issue, then think of merit scholarships as well. So I'll just say one thing about scholarships is you got to apply. Yeah. And that sounds simple, but going to the law magnet, for example, you have a lot of opportunities that other students from other schools don't yeah. have. You get access to like the V&E scholarship. You get access to other law firms. Like these are, you know, $4,000 a year scholarships. And you get a couple of those and those really add up to close your gap. And then those of you that might have a gap, then there are other scholarships that are called uh, last, last dollar scholarships. And what these scholarships are, they're the ones that fill gaps. And like uh, edu what is it? Uh, education opportunities offers that. And every year our school gets two of those. And the way that that's determined is if you get into a really good school, but for whatever reason, your, your gap, your, you know, whatever the, the gap is between what the college has given you and what your parents and you can pay, they come in and fill that gap. And that's an $8,000 a year scholarship. So you start piling some of those on. And like, you have another one. All of y'all have done um, youth and government through the YMCA. Their scholarship's like two or $3,000 renewable. And last year, our seniors let the deadlines go by and nobody applied. So like every member of the mock trial team that qualified for that last year or this past year did not apply. And they know who you are. They know who the law magnet is. And so you're going to get that scholarship. And this is a local scholarship. This isn't a, a national scholarship. So you're just competing with people locally, people who most of you beat at the local level at these district competitions. So they know who you are. All right. So you need, you just need to apply to them. Like it, Vincent and Elkins scholarship is at least a $4,000 a year scholarship. That's a big law firm. That's, and every year we've got to pull teeth to get people to apply. 
Now, maybe you're that student that, you know, you got a full ride, great. You don't need to apply to those. But if you don't, you need to be applying to every single one of those scholarships. I remember I have a student of mine years ago that graduated from Georgetown, and that kid applied to every scholarship. He wore me out. He wore me out on asking me for recommendation letters to the point where, you know, I was like, man, you know, what can we do to, to streamline this process? But guess what? He got a lot of those scholarships, and so it made it possible for him to go to Georgetown. So, you know, one of the things that's going to happen this year, like with your um, new counselors, is that I think that's going to be organized better rather than just getting, you know, as it stands right now, the seniors get these mass emails yeah. every single day of the, of the scholarships that are available. And my goal with that is for our counselors to create like a website with a calendar that you can go to the calendar and see what's coming up that's due to make sure that you apply because... Okay. You know, even this year with the counselor that you have and then with having the college advisor that you had, I don't feel like that stuff got down to the to the seniors the way it needed. So we're working on that. But then at the end of the day, you've got to do something with that information, you know. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of times you can use essays that you've used in your common app. A lot of times you can use, you know, the same uh, recommendation letter, you know, like I would you know, I could pull up Michael's uh, folder on my computer and see all the different applications that he did. And it just took me maybe two or three minutes to go in and change a little bit of the language in the letter to, 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 to uh, tailor it for whatever he was needing to do. And that doesn't put a big onus on the teacher. So apply. Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's way more money out there now for you guys than when I was applying to school. And I, I want to say one last thing about this is that don't ever let money be the reason why you don't apply to a school or don't try to go to school. It's the primary reason why I'm motivated, so motivated to be involved with college admissions with you guys. It's because when I was your age, I didn't have somebody doing that for me. And so it was the difference between me going to SMU or me going to Ivy League school because I didn't have somebody telling me, don't let money be the reason why you don't go to that school. I just thought it was hopeless. So I just took the best offer I had on the table without making any sort of appeal or asking for more money. So don't let that be the reason. And then the other thing is, look, a lot of these schools, the first offer they give you in financial aid is always low. They're just like anybody else. They want to give you the low, you know, it's like when you go buy a car, they want the, the dealer wants to get the best offer for them, not for you. And so the college is greedy too. They, I mean, they're stingy. Stingy is what I want to say, not greedy, is that they want to, you know, they want to hold as much of their money to themselves and get you to pay as much as they can get you to pay. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a process. And I understand because I was this kid, sometimes we don't know how the process works. And that's why you need to have people in your lives that do know how the process works and, and lean on them to help you through that process. I didn't have anybody when I was your age. You do. Okay, well, um, that, I mean, I don't have any general tips. Um, if y'all have any other questions, um, I mean, do y'all have any other questions now? Um, well, if not, um, like Gonzalez has my email, he can give that to y'all. Um, you know, I think we plug the podcast pretty hard, but like we do do a college admissions podcast, admissionsuncovered.com. Like it, you should listen to it. Um, but yeah, if, if anything comes up, obviously feel free to let me know. Um, but I think y'all are in good shape. You know, like Gonzalez knows what's up and how to go through this process. Use him, ask him questions. Um, don't be afraid to ask him for rec letters and ask him to look at your essay. 
at least for me, he was always willing to. So just talk to him and use your resources. Okay. Um, okay. Any anything else, Gonzalez? Any of y'all have questions? All right. If you guys don't have any questions, we'll let you log out, and then I'll wrap up with uh, with Michael. All right. Perfect. Thank you all for listening. It was nice to meet you all. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are recording this because uh, Michael and I are going to use this as part of the podcast for the Admissions Uncovered podcast, which if you, have, if you don't listen to that already, I recommend it. I know Hanand is like your number one fan, Michael Gao. I was going to say, like, I think I saw a comment from you or like a, yeah. like a review from you a while ago. All right, so I'm trying to let other people in. Do y'all have any uh, Gonzalez stories, some classic Gonzalez stories? Too many stories. <laughs> Too many. Too many. <laughs>